you. Today's scripture reading is Joshua 1, 1 through 9. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. Sojourn Church, it is uh, good to be with you. I am really honored that Pastor Jamal would invite me to be able to share uh, the word with you this, uh, this day, this Lord's Day here. Um, I'm excited to be able to preach wherever, but I'm particularly glad to be here just because you are Sojourn Church. Um, because we are connected, whether you realize or not, through Sojourn Network, um, even as we just participate in the grace of giving, um, your giving and your sacrifice obviously impacts here in Louisville in tremendous ways, but you're also giving to efforts like Sojourn Network and working with churches all throughout the country. And uh, for us in Baltimore at the Village Church, we have been a direct beneficiary of your generosity, kindness, and partnership. So thank you, and it's good to be here doing this. So let me pray for us as we seek the Lord's uh, guidance in this time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church and all that you're doing here, and even for all the men and women represented right now. So Lord, Holy Spirit, guide us in this time right now. We know that aside from your power and your spirit breathing through this place, this is just a nice gathering of some like-minded people, but we want it to be so much more than that, that you would be honored, your name would be made much of here, and you would draw us closer to you. I pray for particularly those of us who are here, and maybe our hearts are just cold or hard or far from you, Draw us and woo us and bring us a little closer to you than when we came in. We love you. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us. Guide us in this time. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we just had read for us from Joshua, even if you've never read this portion of the Bible, maybe some of us are a little newer in this journey of knowing who God is, you, you might have heard of some of the circumstances that led up to this, uh, whether it's from movies, maybe all of your experiences from movies. Uh, if that is, that's cool too, but read the Bible along with it, because some of that is a little creative art, artistic license stuff there. Read the Bible with it. But um, what we know is that the people of Israel... God's people have just spent the last 40 years um, wandering in the desert, led by this man named Moses. And now God's purpose for Joshua and his people Israel is to enter this promised land of Canaan. 
And God has set this aside for his people. So the verses that we had read here earlier, you can almost think of it like a commissioning address for this new leader. Because Moses, who's led for 40 years, has now passed. So you've got Joshua, this new leader. And and, uh, some of you have done internships or mentoring programs. And you've been in for like a year and like, yo, this is never going to end. This is like forever. And think of like a 40-year internship for Moses or for Joshua. That's what he was doing under his mentor, uh, Moses, the great leader. And you might have noticed here that God repeats a certain phrase. And, you know, you go to seminary and pay a lot of money to learn like tidbits like this. But it's like in the Bible, when you hear things repeated over and over again, you should pay attention because that usually means it's pretty important. What do we see here to pay attention to? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. God repeats this to Joshua three times in these short number of verses. And, you know, I ain't that bright. But I think it seems kind of logical that the reason God is telling Joshua to be strong and courageous is probably Joshua's not feeling very strong and courageous at this time. And, you know, we can consider the circumstances that are going on behind the scenes here. Uh, If we look at verse 1 again, we read, it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. And we see here, this was a time of great change for Israel. There was a lot going on. They were about to geographically enter a new place. It was a new season, a new phase, next steps. But part of that is they've also lost their leader, the only leader they've known for 40 years, the one who led them out of captivity in Egypt and guided them through years of desert wilderness. And if you're not familiar with who Moses is, we see a great description of him in the end of uh, the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 34 in verse 10. It says, and there has not arisen a a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. I'm imagining if you're Joshua, you're like, what? I'm supposed to follow who? The guy that it says there is none like this guy? Seriously, couldn't I get some scrub in front of me so that I won't look that uh, inept when I'm leading now? But this is who Moses was. there's significant change happening, including losing their leader. And I I think it's helpful to recognize because here's how I used to read this. And I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read this passage through the years. And I tend to think in kind of visionary, forward-moving kind of ways. That's just the way I'm wired. So when I would always read this and the introduction to Joshua, I always took this as, yo, there's about a great adventure about to happen. Here's God's preparing you to go forward. And I think that's coming and that's very appropriate. But lately, and maybe it's more age or wisdom, or maybe just age, but but I think it's, I'm starting to recognize it's okay to sit there a little bit and wait a little bit and process what's going on there, not not move ahead so quickly. Because the the part that gets, gets me to pause a little, it says, Moses, my servant is dead. And for Israel, This was not something they moved on from quickly. When you see in Deuteronomy 34, along with those verses there that describe them, it describes that after he passed, after he took his last breath on this earth, 
Typically, the morning time for a person in the culture, there was seven days. That was the typical uh, time that you would stop and just mourn and grieve. For Moses, they mourned for 30 days. They stopped what they were having to do. There was new land to occupy and to go in, but they stopped and they grieved and they mourned and they cried for the leader that they loved, this great man, Moses. And I wouldn't be surprised if the morning was particularly deep for Joshua. I mean, we just don't have in scripture, we don't know exactly, but it doesn't seem to give the evidence that Joshua is just like, just waiting for like 40 years, like kind of his Hamilton moment, like give me my shot and let me, man, when's this guy Mo gonna leave? He just keeps leading. He's just always gonna be around. And it's like, when do I get to, I don't, I don't think we see like it. If anything, there seems to be a deep affection between the older brother, maybe more like a father, Moses, and his son in the ministry, Joshua, taking him up on mountains, saying, yo, wait here for 40 days. What do I do? Just wait and pray. You know, just this a closeness between them. And as Joshua enters this new season of leadership and ministry, there's probably some excitement, but we also see there's, there's some fear and trepidation. And maybe part of that is his own grief and loss and losing this man, Moses. And just a side note here, but I believe, I genuinely believe even in a room like this, that God has beautiful experiences in front of every single person here. You might not believe it. And I'm not into some like prosperity type, like God's got a great place. You just give a lot of offering here and God's gonna set a nice big opportunity. I'm not into that like shadiness, right? That's not what I'm saying. But I just genuinely believe as we follow God, he has got things ahead of us that you might not even be aware of right now. And he's preparing you and forming you. And, and I wanna encourage you, that's something to be excited about. That's something you should anticipate in hope. But I think it's also okay for us to kind of just stop sometimes and recognize that sometimes for change to happen in our life, and sometimes even great change, exciting things, whether in us or our families or our professions or even our churches, sometimes with great change comes accompanying loss. Sometimes for the greatest things to happen that shift life, often there's a loss that can sometimes come with it as well. And I think for me personally, this has just been brought into just very stark reality over the past year. This is, um, if I say anything weird today, I'm going to blame it on this, but this is a strange weekend for me, uh, just in my own head and my own mind, because tomorrow is actually the one-year anniversary since my father passed last year. So it's kind of a deep, still kind of raw kind of thing. And the thing about my pops is he was, he was just as strong, like spiritually strong man, like robust faith. I mean, he was an immigrant and he didn't speak much English, but just he passed on faith to me, even though we didn't speak really the same language, just through his life received so much from him. But he was also a physically just strong man. He was a, in Korea, he was a boxer and a weightlifter and just a, a brute of a man. But the reason he passed was that cancer got his body and by the end there really quickly just ravaged him and ate his body up to the point where he was literally at the end a skin and bones melting away from this big strong man that I knew to this shriveled up uh, person ready, not even able to talk. So when he was at that final breaths moment and he, his life was released, knowing that he was a man of faith, knowing that God knew him, our family genuinely worshiped God. 
We genuinely gave God praise because for a man who at the end was in such pain and agony, there was like a release. We knew that he was now in glory. He was now able to rest. He was now with his father. He was now able to just worship as he was created to do. Everything was made right again. Everything that had been broken was now repaired. And now he could just worship God, sing praises, just enjoy the presence of God and not have this thing called sin get in the way there. He could just do it without any distractions. And we fully believe that fully affirmed that. We love that. This change in my father's life was something we could celebrate. But at the very same moment on this side, his family and friends grieved and mourned because for his change in very good ways that we affirmed, we experienced loss and heartbreak even as we celebrate those things. So uh, what, the reason why I'm saying this is sometimes there are really good things happening in our lives and some of us are even change addicts. I tend to be like that. I like, I, I love change. I, I'm like that guy. Like if things stay too normal, for, I'm like, oh, things got to change. Um, but there comes a point, sometimes there's too much change. Things happen or things are happening too much around us. And I want to just encourage maybe even some of us who are experiencing things, maybe you associated with that or not, but you're going through pain in your life. You're experiencing pain. For you to know God sees the pain that you might have right now. God sees the fear that maybe you even have of things that aren't the same as they used to be changing around you. And I think it's critical for us to kind of press into these things. I think Sojourn is different. I love this church because this is not a church culture that says, okay, y'all know you're struggling in life and life is hard, but kind of keep that at the door, come in because we're happy, happy, joy, joy Christians here. So we don't want any of that to mess in the way of the hodge praise and jumping up. I I love, we're a church that here that welcomes that in. But, But I think it's critical for us to be real because we're not sadists who revel in pain. But I think what happens um, sometimes in people and groups and even churches is we're not able to experience change in healthy ways because we haven't processed through some of the loss and pain that might accompany it. So it's okay to grieve loss, especially as it comes with change. But we also do so with the hope of where God is leading us, that it's not without a reason. God is using these things. And that's what's happening in Joshua's life here. He's experiencing hard things, to the point where God has to tell him multiple times, be strong and courageous. There's a lot of change going on. And we see, what he, we see here what God tells Joshua to do in response. It says, come on, snowflake, stop your whining. Pull yourself together. You guys don't got that in, in your Bible? Of course not, right? Because you don't got shady international version there, right? You, you could, you know. Of, of course, that's not what God says here. I mean, God God does tell Joshua, be strong, be courageous. But he tells Joshua, this strength is not found from going deep within yourself as we're often hearing in our world. Be strong and courageous, but not pulling yourself up by your bootstraps kind of strong and courageous. Rather, Joshua is to get his strength by remembering the God who's with him. Amen? That's the kind of strength God is inviting Joshua into strength and courage that comes from knowing the one who goes before him. And in verse five, one of those passages that I just love, I can read over and over, just meditate for a long time, but the portion of that where it says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. That's the hope God provides his son Joshua here. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And I imagine as Joshua hears those words from God, 
like the memories that are start stirring when Joshua, what do you mean just as you were with Moses? And, and just, and for some of you Harry Potter guys, right? It's like, maybe it's like that pensive, right? That thing, that memory, John, where you get the hair and you start stirring it and all the memories come through and you start to, I almost imagine for Joshua, there's like a recollection of all the ways he's seen God walking with Moses through his life that he's been able to witness firsthand for 40 years. I imagine there's maybe some memories and images of, of the people of Israel who had been a captive people in this nation of Egypt, slaves under this nation, Egypt, led by this evil Pharaoh. But God, in some miraculous works, freed the people, freed them from captivity, and sent them out of Egypt. Pharaoh's heart was changed, and they were sent out. But the thing about being freed is that just because you're freed doesn't mean life is suddenly easy. Right? Just because you experience freedom doesn't mean everything suddenly simple. And some of y'all here know that because you've experienced freedom of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ has freed you some very horrific things in your life. But maybe someone promised you, be freed in Christ and everything's going to be happy from now on. And you've been freed and you praise God for that genuinely. But you're also like, oh, yo, this is hard. <laughs> this is still really hard. Wow, no one told me I'm going to struggle with that. Wow. And the people, they're freed, but they're going into the desert. They follow in this, this maniac Moses who just got this big stick, right? That's all he seems to have. And he got God, but he got this big stick. And following in the desert where it's cold and dark, and they don't know where they're going. And God seems to almost recognize what's going on in his people. And we see in Exodus 14 what happens here. Or in, in Exodus 13, what happens here? In verse 21, it says, The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And this is like one of the most moving images we have here of God. God's not just telling them, yo, I am with you. God's not just saying, hey, I'm gonna be in front of you guys just kind of a sense. You'll, you'll kind of know I'm there. He actually shows them through these manifestations of these pillars of cloud during the day and then a pillar of fire at night, protecting them from danger, guiding them when they don't know where they're going, providing light in the darkness. And God is telling them, giving them a visible sign of saying, you are not going to go alone. Yes, I have freed you, but I will also be going with you. And Joshua remembers the God who goes with the people. The thing is about the people is that they're freed, right? So they got this pillar of cloud and fire, and you would think that's enough. You're like, wow, why would I ever have to doubt now? I see God right. I mean, there's no, that's not just like some weather miracle that's happening. That's God. But still, they've escaped, and they've, they're, they're moving. Then they get to the point of this Red Sea, but then something happens. They look back and they see Pharaoh because Pharaoh's heart's turned. He's ticked off. He's like, yo, what out of that? Why did we let them go? We had free, cheap labor here. What do we let them go for? Let's go get them. Get our chariots. Let's go get these slaves. Get them back. Kill them. So the people, even though they pre free, now they look back and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> Seriously? And what do we hear them say to Moses here in chapter 14, verse 11? It says, they said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? 
What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And they're just grumbling and complaining. They're like, why'd you free us if we just gonna die like this, Moses, dummy? And, and I mean, I, I, I don't blame them. I would have probably been there right there with, Moses, uh, with, with the people too. And, and at this point, it's, it's not like God, though he had every right to say, yo, man, it's still early in the game. We can do a return on this, John. Send them back, man. We'll find a new crew. Mo, they, they stink. Let's get, what does God do? He says, yo, get that big stick, Mo. Put your hands up. <laughs> and this water <laughs> separates. I don't know what that, that sounded like, but the water separates. And the people of Israel are led through the Red Sea, protected, delivered, brought to safety from their oppressors, from those who are hunting them down and protected by the very hand of God, miraculously shown. And we're just reminded, and Joshua's remembering the hand of the Lord that will not let his people be taken as much as it seems like they are set, bent for destruction. God is the one protecting them, providing for their needs. He is watching over them. He will not let harm come to them. This is the God who goes before his people, who's with them. You would think after pillars of cloud and pillars of fire, and you would think after water, you would, yo, you would think there's like no doubts anymore. Well, how can you doubt God after all that? But the thing is, the people get hungry. They get hungry. And, and we see it described in Exodus 16, where it says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel. So this is about the second month halfway through that they've gone. The whole of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And yo, there is not much that kills the mood of a place like hungry people, right? Like you can be in church and the preacher can be on point, music team's killing it, like everything's great. But if you're hungry, you're like, yo, when's this guy going on and on and on? Man, when's he gonna be over? Does he usually preach this long? Man, does that song have to be repeated that many times? I'm hungry, I want some food. Yo, you got our open table reservation? Like, there's nothing that can affect us sometimes like hunger. And so I understand the people's, uh, they're, they're hangry. And again, you would think that these people would be grateful because God, they've seen God with them. Why would they doubt? But God doesn't say, y'all send them back. Come on, they stink. These are ungrateful people. What does God do? God gives them quail for them to have good meat to eat, this bird's. And he gives them this crazy thing that they don't even know what the name of it is. So they call it, what is it? Manna is bread-like wafer stuff that just appears in the ground every day, except for the Sabbath, every day. And, and they, it's, it's, it's not so much that they can hoard it, but it's not so little that they don't have enough. God gives them exactly what they need, not a little bit more and not a little bit less to provide for their basic physical needs. And, and we're reminded that God is with his people and as he sends them and brings them into freedom and sends them to follow Moses, he's not gonna send them without saying he's gonna provide for their very needs, the things that are common within all of us. How are we gonna eat? How are we gonna survive? Later we see he does the same thing with water. God showing even your very physical needs, I will be the one that provides it because I go with you. 
And in times like this, in memories like this, and so much more, perhaps Joshua, as he hears that this God, who was the same God who was with Moses, will also be with him. Maybe Joshua is realizing that in his own times, a fear and doubt that are inevitable, that will come, it's going to be hard. He is to remember the faithfulness of this God that he has witnessed firsthand for 40 years under the tutelage of Moses, and know it's the same God. Maybe situations are going to look different. Maybe the manifestations are are going to look different, but it's the same God who's going to go forth with them. And for us, as we navigate life, we also need to remember the God who goes with us. And you know, when we think, I, I think about raising my kids and just this journey of life, um, in many ways, the way I view life is like a continual series of fears to kind of have to get through right? And when you start off from the very beginning, it's like just entering this world. That's one big major fear and you don't even know what's going on, but suddenly scary because you're warm and safe and you're in this world. Now it's all loud and scary and bright. And you, you learn to have to encounter that fear and you get a little older and fears start to manifest. Like, uh, I don't want to go to sleep at night because it's scary and it's dark and those shadows over there are monsters. And you don't realize it's just your clothes. They even cleaned up. So it's made little monster shadow monsters on the wall and have to get over those fears. And then fears become next steps of having to go to school for the first time and going by yourself and mommy and daddy's not there and having learned how to make friends and will people like me and, 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 and then having to get a little older and maybe take first overnight trips and being a little scared of having to go somewhere by yourself and, and, and be somewhere. And, and then it starts to feel a little more serious. Some of the fears of, man, am I, am I going to get into a school? Am I, what kind of job am I going to be able to get? Am I going to meet someone to share my life with? Is there even someone that's out there for me? And, and, and as you get older, the fears just start, seem to start to get bigger. And, and here's just a little, um, you would think, and somehow there's this idea that as you get older, it gets easier to navigate the fears in life. Yeah, I don't mean to burst your bubbles, but I think it actually gets harder <laughs> the older you get. If anything, it feels like there's more at stake to lose the older you get. So we have all of those different fears that encounter us, possible fears, and we all have different ways to respond to those and the accompanying crises of faith. And one way, and I'm, I'm there, I'm, I'm, I've been part of this, is one way to encounter it is by find that strength within, right? Dig deep. Like, look for the inner you. Find the best you. Be strong. Drink your Gatorade. Put on your Under Armour. You know, just get deep. Find it and be strong. And you know what? You know, as you're watching your football on Sunday, that makes a tremendous Under Armour commercial. You got hype about that? But what God teaches us is that strength in his kingdom is not actually found from within, but it's found from looking outside of us. Strength is not digging deeper to find that secret place where you're really strong, but it's actually looking outside of us to who God is. Because it's interesting what God teaches Joshua here about how he's to know God more. Look at verse seven. It says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on a day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. More than might or power or strength, God emphasizes Joshua's need for the word of the Lord. 
And make no mistake, Joshua, he's going to have situations where he's going to have to use um, every ounce of his military training and skill and leadership and all of those things as he leads the people. But what God is clearly telling him here is that your success will ultimately not be how beast of a fighter you are how great of a leader you are, how wise you are in battle techniques, but ultimately it's gonna be by living by the ways of God as found in his law. Ultimately, your strength is gonna be from knowing me as revealed in the word, in the law. And for us here, the primary means that God has given us to be intimately connected with him is through his word. And I, I personally believe God can speak to us in many different ways, But what we're saying here is the primary means that God has given to reveal himself is through his word. And y'all sojourn church, so this is like back of your hand kind of stuff. You know this, and I'm just, but it's always good to reaffirm these things in case. But we all know here, right, that the Bible, we don't approach the Bible as this storybook of characters we should emulate. So we don't get into like Bible studies and read the Bible and say, oh yeah, I want to be like that guy. That's how you do a marriage good. Or I want to be like her. That's how you have courage in the face of um, financial adversity. Or oh man, I want to be like those people. It's not like we're looking at it like some fantasy story and these are the people we're trying to emulate, trying to be like. The Bible, the word of God, it's actually this narrative, this story filled with some of the biggest losers you can imagine. Like people that when they, if they would move in next to you on your block, you'd be like, oh no, not that kind of person. Like horrible people. You find like liars and people who do their family wrong. You find people who are cowards. You find people who steal. You find people who um, just commit adultery, even murder, like horrible people. And you know what? Those are the good guys. It's like crazy. That's like the good guys in the scripture. The thing is, as jacked up as the people of God might be, as we find described in the word, there is one common theme throughout the story. There is a hero. It's not all those people, but there is a hero. And he is faithful. He is strong. He does not waver like you and I are prone to waver. This hero, he's God. And he's calling us to put our trust in him. Even at least for me, when I'm continually tempted to put my trust in anything else other than God, including myself. To put my trust in myself even more than I do in God. And um, we talk a lot about freedom in our churches. I'm, I'm sure you do that here. I know you do here in Louisville. We do in Baltimore. But we often talk about freedom when we talk about things like addictions, or compulsions and like how God can deliver and free us. And I think that's real. If anything, we need to press into that even more. God can free. But what I want to suggest here uh, for us here tonight is, along with those kinds of things, God also wants to free you from trusting yourself too much. And I know that sounds counterintuitive because maybe for some of you, you've lived your whole life thinking, yeah, you know, I've been told my whole life, I can't trust in anyone except for myself. Who's going to look out for me except for me? And what God is trying to do is free you from even the very sane looking thing of trusting in yourself more. Because I'm going to suggest that for for some of us here, the greatest barrier for our relationship with God is that we just have too much trust in ourselves. We believe in ourselves too much. And this is going to sound crazy, but what this means is that practically some of y'all, your greatest challenge is that you're actually real competent. 
Like you are good at what you do. You are smart. You're athletic. You're good at your work. You're diligent. Man, some of you, you're even cute, right? Like you're good looking. And like, those are not bad, but the challenge is they can be harmful to a relationship with God because we start to trust in ourselves and our abilities. Because if it's all good, why do you need God? Maybe a question that I ask myself that could be helpful to you, I ask myself frequently, how much of my life right now could realistically be done if I took God out of it? How much of my life right now could I realistically do if I just took God out of it? And it really doesn't matter if he's there or not. And I, I wanna be clear here. Um, I'm not talking about weakness, like losing ourselves, as if um, weakness is a high quality trait itself. And, and I know sometimes we'll hear that, like weakness is good. Um, and I wanna push a little bit on that, but God doesn't want you to be weak for the sake of weakness itself. Like somehow being weak is good and just weakness is what God is after. Actually, God is about power. We don't read about a weak God in scripture. God is very strong. God is very mighty. He actually wants you to be strong as you follow him. But here's the thing, and here's why the kingdom of the Lord is countercultural. He wants you to know that true strength is found in your weakness. That God wants you to be strong, but if you want to be strong, it's found when you are weak and find your strength in him. Because it's often our weakness, our very weakness that brings us to need the strength of God in our life. Uh, many years back, I learned to ride a motorcycle. Um, yeah, some of you bikers, you're going to know what I'm talking about here. But when I was learning, and some of y'all in the very back there, you might not be able to tell because you're far, but you might mistake me for like a gymnast or something. And like, uh, I'm, I'm not, um, it's not natural for me to be on this small piece of metal going at high speeds. It feels very, un like I can't ski, I can't roller skate. So why am I getting on this little thing with two wheels? But I did it. And here's, here's the thing, though. When I got on the bike, the instructor who I was working with, they were saying, um, when you turn the bike, you actually don't use your handlebars like you would a bicycle. There's some turns you do that, but you actually don't turn your handlebars. When you're making a turn, you got to lean into it. I'm like, say what? You're like, yeah, you got to lean into your turns. Um, how, how do you do that with, like, your kickstand still? No, no, no. You're, while you're riding, you lean into your... What, what he was saying was... The faster you're going, the tighter the turn, actually you need to lean into it even more. You need to basically make your bike go sideways. I'm like, yo, I, I wasn't that good at math or physics, but that doesn't seem like it would work here, especially with my girth. It, it doesn't seem like science would allow that to happen. And, and he would say, you, you need to learn to trust the lean. You gotta trust the lean. Because here's the thing, when you're going along and you're like racing down I-95 at, um, and we all going to obey the law here, right? So like 55 miles per hour, <laughs> you, you racing at 55. Um, when, you, when you have to make a turn and you start leaning that bike, there's a point when you're having to make a turn and you're going more and more and every fiber of your being is screaming within you, this is not going to work. Pull it back up because you are going to, and you're getting closer and closer to concrete there and it's really hot and it's not going to work. You're going to go splat it that you need to pull that up. But you realize if you want to make those turns, you got to learn to trust that lean. Even though naturally it doesn't feel like it's going to work, but that's the way riding a motorcycle works. And it's an, obviously it's an incomplete, silly little illustration, but I think it gives us a picture of faith in Christ as well. 
You know, we talk about faith, it's believing the unseen because of a future hope. The reality is sometimes faith in God, what God tells you to trust in him to live your life, it will not make sense in this world's eyes. It might almost seem counterintuitive. You might feel like a moron when some of the things you see about um, how it means to follow God and what it means to do to lose yourself, die to yourself. No one's putting that on a coffee mug in a Christian bookstore, right? Suffer. Be weak. No one, Lifeway, no selling no bumper stickers like that. But that's what faith is. Because as we actively put our trust in him, as we, in a way, trust in that lean, as we lean into trusting God, that's when that mysterious work happens where we once had fear and we put it in God's hands. It doesn't seem to make sense, but we trust him. Even if we can't see it, God starts to turn that into faith. Because in our weakness, he is our strength. And I think a note on that, and I think it's relevant here in Louisville, I know in, even in this church and again, our churches and all over. But I think that's a reason why historically the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ has had borne such powerful fruit, particularly among the marginalized, particularly among the poor, like people who are on the fringes of society that everyone else will look at and say, yo, those are losers. They have no say. They have no power. They have no prestige. They have no word. They have nothing here. Traditionally, this, this message of faith in Christ has proven to be so strong and attractive to people who in this world's eyes have nothing. And, and again, I think we should do all we can to serve marginalized communities. I'm not saying we, let's not do that. Let's not be hyper-spiritualized. But at the same time, I think we should not be so worldly and like not just pity those who are marginalized or poor, but sometimes envy the place where people are at, where in this world's eyes, you have nothing. But the message of Jesus Christ is so sweet because it says you can be made right with God. You can be a very child of God. You can be a saint. You can be given all the riches of an inheritance with God. Even though this world says you have nothing, when you have God, you truly have everything. But if you have everything in this world, Sometimes that's a hard message to take. So who is in the better place? And that's why we read and meditate on the word of God. Because your God that you read about in the Bible is the same one that you read that walks with you today. And, and those people that you read about in the Bible, they're, they're no better. I mean, they might have done some great things for the Lord, but they're no better or worse than any of us here are. And maybe what I can encourage you to do as you read the Bible, as you read it, you know, for Joshua, he, he heard from the Lord, as I was with Moses. Maybe for some of us, as we read the Bible, we can start to read it through a lens of, as I was with Moses, as I was with Joshua, as I was with Ruth, as I was with Deborah, as I was with Jeremiah, as I was with Mary, as I was with John, as I was with Paul. And we start to remember that as God walked with all of these broken, frail people throughout the scriptures who did some great things for the Lord, but it wasn't because they were great, it's because God was great, that we recognize as God was with them, so is he also with us now. The same God who's with all of them that you read throughout the scriptures is the same God who promises to be with those who are in Christ now. The God of miracles and power that worked in those people is the same God who has a work today and desires to make himself known in your life and in our world through you. 
So, you know, at the end of this message, I really hope the goal is not for any of us here, man, you know, I was coming in with some fear and not feeling very courageous. So, man, I needed this because I want to be more like Joshua and I want to be more courageous now. I hope that's not the message you're going with because the point is not to be more like Joshua. The point is to know more intimately the God who was with Joshua. Amen? The point is to know the God who was with Joshua because in times of our fear and doubt, The goal is not for us to just be stronger willed, but to know the God who promises that those who are in him do not walk alone. And this has just been a very, again, personal message for me in the past year along with my father's passing. It just brought a lot of things into clearer uh, focus for me. Um, I've struggled with depression for much of my life since I was pretty young. And the thing is, uh, it's the kind of depression, and for some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you're right there in your own journeys, but it's that kind of depression where you get up in the morning, but you can't even get up. Like, you really still reason to get out of bed, and that would be for like a week kind of thing because it's just like you see no hope at all. Nothing seems worth it. Like, that kind of thing. And I've carried that for much of my life, but what I also realized is that in the past few years, I've become pretty, like, almost a high-functioning depressed person because life still needs to be lived, Family still needs to be supported, so I do what I do and probably do it decently, but inside feeling some of the same inclinations and things um, just roaring within me. And this year, what happened was it just all came to a head, and it got to a point where I, I just couldn't process life anymore. I got to a very dark, low point where everything just seemed dark, and, and I even got to a point where I was like, I don't even know if I can do what I'm doing anymore. Like, what's the, what's the purpose And here's the thing, in the midst, and I'm still going through some of that, but God has really been showing his grace. In the midst of that, as painful as it was, as painful as it can still be, as weak as I felt and sometimes still feel, it's amazing how God meets me in that moment of total brokenness. Because what I recognize that for me, I still live under a paradigm, even though I know by grace alone, faith alone, I know all the solas and I know all the, I got all the theology down, but I still live in a way where I believe, yeah, God is with us, but when I do my end of the deal. Yeah, God is with us when I'm reading my Bible and praying regularly. Yeah, God is with us when I'm serving my community and loving my church and loving my neighbor. Yeah, God is with us but he's more with us when I'm being a good dad and a good father and keeping myself from harmful activity. God is with us, but when I'm holding my end of the bargain, but being in the place where I was in my total weakness and brokenness, all I could say if, if God would ask me, what do you have for me? I was like, I got nothing. I got absolutely nothing here. I have nothing of value to offer you. And to know that it's not because I have something to bring to God that he promises to be with me but it's because he loves me and Christ has paid a great sacrifice. He welcomes me in and he reminds me again that he's with us, not because we've held up our end of the bargain, but rather because he's a good God who desires to make himself known in your life and in my life. And that's ultimately when we see this idea of God with us, some of you contract this, uh, God promises here, he will be with the people. And we see ultimately the fulfillment of those promises in Jesus Christ himself. Some of you know one of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, 
God with us, that when God in the form of a man, the son of God came to this earth, it was God literally not just saying he will be with us, but he became that physical presence with us, coming into our world, coming into a world that sometimes you and I might want to escape with every fiber of our being, eagerly coming in and making himself part of our hurt and loss and brokenness, a world that can be torn apart, a world where you can lose people, a world where people can betray you and becoming part of that world, ultimately to the point of going on this thing called a cross and taking upon himself all the pain and brokenness and shame and hurt and sin upon his very being and being crucified and being sacrificed. And, and to the point where he was on that cross, he even cried out different expressions saying, God, why have you forsaken me? Father, why are you far from me? God, you're not with, I don't feel you're there anymore. And we know it, it's, it's, it's just very powerful imagery because Jesus is saying those things but at the very same moment, he's right in the center of God's will. It's a reminder for us that sometimes even in the hardest things in our life that make us cry out, where are you, God? We might be in the place where God is forming us and using us, even in our very own life as we identify with the Christ. Because things don't always make sense when you're looking at it with eyes like modern day, right now, present. But God is at work. And we know that when Jesus is our Emmanuel, when Jesus is our God with us, he paid the price because ultimately all those promises of how God said, how I will be with you, do not turn from the book of the law, meditate on it day and night. You, you know who you and I, oh, I'll speak for myself because y'all might be holy in here. Um, I'm that person that hears that and I don't meditate on the book of the law day and night. Sometimes I do a very cursory one minute kind of reading. I'm like, okay, I got my little coffee mug saying for today. Or do not turn from the left to the right. I'm like doing U-turn 180, John's, all the time around that. And God reminds us that's why Jesus came, to be our Emmanuel, to be our God with us, because we are a people who are like Israel. We're rebellious. We know the faithfulness of God, some of us, and yet we continue to turn in different directions. We continue to chase after anything else that will give us significance and hope. And God is trying to remind us and show us in love, this is why we need Christ, the one who's faithful when we couldn't be faithful. And that's how he is with us. So let me ask you today, just very simply, how is God calling you to trust him? Maybe a way you can ask it, what in your life today is making you doubt that God is with you? And that's a hard thing to ask, but for some of us, maybe, it's, maybe it is like a depression or an illness physically. Maybe it's a cancer that you're experiencing or loved ones in your life that are really causing you to doubt whether God can truly be with you. If God loved us, why this? Maybe it's financial calamity. Maybe it's business is going down the tubes. Maybe it's failure in your life. Maybe it's relational disruption. Maybe it's different things going on. Maybe it's even issues in the church. Maybe it's your own head. Whatever it might be, what in your life is the enemy using to try to get you to doubt that God could truly be with you? And if I could encourage you, if you are a child of God, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And you remember Christ. And as you come up for the communion in a little bit, can you bring those things that you're being tempted to, to trust whether God is truly with you or not? Bring that to the Lord. Be honest with him. And I also want to give an invitation. Maybe some of us here, maybe we don't know God. Maybe you would say, you know, for me, the biggest thing, I'm just far from God. I've been running from God for a while. I, I might have even followed him at a certain point, but I'm going in the other direction. Um, 
God wants you to be in a place where you can know Jesus so you can truly say God is with you because the reality is if we're running away from him, we're saying we don't want him to be with us and that's not a good place to be. But God wants to invite you into a relationship with him where you can know for certain, no matter what I go through in this life, there is God with me. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.